Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey everybody, welcome to another new episode of Undying Light. I am your host, Pastor Alex, and we are back at it. Uh, once again, in the Gospel of Matthew, and as you've been trekking along with us, I hope, for the last uh, few months, we have gone verse by verse from chapter 1 all the way through, and we're in chapter 10 right now, and so we have yet to really hit uh, the halfway point, but we're getting close, and uh, we're continuing on. And working through the topics uh, as they come along. And so this week we're going to kind of do a quick review uh, from last week. Because we're going to just kind of uh, provide a little bit of more context to what is happening uh, as we move forward in the missionary discourse uh, that Jesus is giving his disciples. So as always, uh, any of the commercials that I used to give uh, in the front of the show are now at the back end of the show after the uh, closing music. So you don't have to listen to me babble, but I do want to say this. We are going to be pushing for a private um, Bible study for the patrons. So if you're interested, uh, that is a new endeavor that I'm taking on this summer. Uh, You can come and join us for as little as a dollar a month and uh, join us for a private Bible study on Zoom. And uh, yeah, we'll go from there. So. Uh, let us dig into the content and see where we are. We're going to begin this week on the 26th verse, but in order to provide context, I want to read a previous few verses from the previous section. The persecution will come. So let's provide a little bit more context than even just that. So you guys know what you're going to get into first going all the way back to chapter nine. This is what we talked about last week. Uh, we have the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. So Jesus is starting to uh, initiate the missionary discourse. So he's kind of given the pretext to the actual discourse. Uh, And then we have in chapter 10, the calling of the 12. These are who Jesus has now uh, asserted to have authority over the unclean spirits and to heal every disease and every affliction. And then he names the 12. Then Jesus will send out the 12. And we talked about how the sending out can be twofold. It can be. Uh, either the immediate sending of these for maybe a, a, a couple of days, a weekend, or even a couple of weeks, or uh, and or it could be relating to the greater sending out after the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, where they will actually go out into the world. So it could be two parts, could be and or both. Um, the text is kind of pretty open in terms of interpretation. Either side of that is not wrong. Um, but Jesus is essentially asserting that they are going to go out into these regions and preach to, uh, to these people. And they're going to do all of these miracles in order to continue the work that Christ has started. Uh, and then he tells them that a persecution is going to come. He says here in verse 16, I'm sending you out as a sheep amongst wolves, uh, be as wise as servants and as innocent as doves. So we talked a little bit, uh, in my sermon in the church on Sunday, 
in regards to retaliation and an eye for an eye and uh, loving your enemies. And I, you know, made the general statement that, you know, Jesus tells his disciples that they will uh, go out and uh, be persecuted. They are going to go out and they are going to make enemies of the world. And by making these enemies, um, they are going to uh, face immense persecution. And so it is not uncommon for Christians to face persecution at the hands of their enemies. And so he's telling them, be prepared. This is what is going to happen. You will be uh, flogged and beaten. You'll be turned over uh, by your own loved ones. People will despise you for his message. So that is the uh, the warning that he gives you uh, here in verses 16 through 25. So now we... Uh, are going to look at verse 26 and on, and we're going to continue on. I think we should have uh, enough time to get through the rest of chapter 10 today, uh, but we'll see how time gives us. But I intend on working through these next three sections. It's not very long um, in terms of what we have because it kind of continues to follow the same theme, but it'll take us to verse 42 uh, from 26. So let's start here. So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before man, I will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before man, I will also deny before the Father who is in heaven. All right, carrying on, verse 34. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against his, her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And the person's enemies will be of those of his own household. Whoever loves the father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses, it, loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever receives you receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of water because of he, because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. All right, so a lot happening here in these last few verses of chapter 10. Uh, but be reminded that this is a part of the missionary discourse that Jesus is giving, and he's setting up uh, his disciples to go out into the world and to preach to these people. So he's preparing them. Uh, these are not just little spiffy comments that Jesus makes uh, in the retrospect of you know, the greater audience, but he's giving us these, uh, these, these pointed remarks that, uh, he's empowering his disciples with. And so in uh, verse 
26, he's telling them, have no fear. So he basically just says, you guys are going to be persecuted. You're going to be beaten. You're going to, you know, all these terrible things are going to come on you. But hey, have no fear. Uh, for, for nothing that is uh, hidden will not be made known. Everything that is hidden will be made known. So have no fear because they will pay for their injustice. Uh, since it was Jesus who sent his disciples into the world, they could depend on his protection. Uh, it doesn't mean that they won't face persecution or uh, or obstacles or, or hardships because they all do. And they all, uh, except John the Apostle, die at the hands of, uh, of their enemies. So they all die a martyr's death. And that includes Paul. Uh, John experiences immense persecution but dies of an old age. And so he's telling them, have no fear. You guys are going to do this, but I will give you the strength. I will protect you. And, and I think it really, it really sets the scene here uh, when he says, do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Do not fear those who can murder you or kill you. Fear the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So he's telling them, fear God. So we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, so his disciples to carry out uh, the mission that they are being instructed. This is the revealed and now made known. They will be convinced that ultimately the truth of the gospel will, will be uh, given and emerge into the world. And so he's saying all that has been hidden. This is kind of there's a, a, a certain line of theolo- theological thinking in the Lutheran chain, um, the hidden and revealed God. And uh, this is, you know, God hiding some of his stuff from the world and it is now being revealed in the gospel of Christ. And so he's saying that all that has been hidden will now be made known. That is your job as a disciple to go out into the world and to proclaim this message. And so that all people who believe it will be saved. That is what is being instructed here to these to these 12. And so Jesus uh, tells his disciples to keep quiet about who he is and does this quite often and. 12, 16, and 17. Uh, there's, in fact, the Lutheran Study Bible has a whole article on secrecy. Uh, however, this time he's coming when he wanted them to proclaim the gospel. So the missionary work, and this is why a lot of theologians will lean to this being a preparation for the res- for the resurrection and, and ascension time uh, in between you know, the, the coming back of Christ. Because he's, you know, preparing them and to be bold in their proclamation to go out and tell everybody who this Jesus is. But up until this point, and and really there on in the rest of Matthew here, Jesus is instructing them to be secret. So, could it have been a weekend uh, trip that they had taken? Possibly, but more than likely, he's giving us this conversation, this sermon, to his disciples as a preparation for uh, his death and resurrection, and so. He is telling them, you know, in these times you will be persecuted because, in fact, what happens in the early church is immense persecution because uh, the world's uh, pagan leaders thought that they were uh, a threat to them because, especially in Rome, they were no longer bowing to Caesar. They were praising and worshiping Jesus Christ. And so uh, the Romans thought it was, uh, you know, a cruel um, or, you know, it was a, it was a terrible thing for them to d- be doing. So they administered cruel uh, forms of torture and torment. Uh, I won't get into all of the th- ways that they killed people, but they would, we'll just say they put them on spikes through their whole body, not, you know, stomach to back, but you know, uh, their whole body. Uh, they would also cover them in oil and put them on a spike and light them on fire alive. They would crucify them. 
they would behead them. Uh, it's it's a terrible, terrible, dark, dark moment for Christians. But Jesus is telling them, you will face this stuff. You will face the heinous evil of the world, but you will be triumphant, and the gospel is the goal. See, here's what here's what people, especially in today, especially in the West, really want to adhere to is their own personal comfort. These disciples are being prepared to die to just share the gospel with somebody. Now, imagine if Christians today had that same validity to them, had that same empowerment that they would go out and risk their life and their livelihood and their family's livelihood just to share the gospel with somebody. That, I think, would change the entire construct of the church these days if we had that same mindset that the apostles did, and we don't. We have the uh, it'll 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 work itself out type mindset. We we have no sort of missionary mind or attitude about us in the West. We build big churches and and sugarcoat the gospel in hopes that you know people will come. Jesus loves everybody. Come as you are. All this you know the generic phrases that are used by the ma- big mega churches. It is atrocious and anti-biblical. Now, and, and I'll be the first to admit, I am not a good street preacher. I cannot preach on the street. I just don't. It's not my psyche. And I don't think every pastor or theologian or Christian is meant to be a street preacher. There are some who are called to do that, and they do quite a good job at it. However, it is our job as Christians not to just sit in our church and expect people to come in wandering. We are to be lights in the dark world, advocates in this world. We are to be immersed in our communities, and we ought to make our faith known. People will know us by our love, and they will know our faith. So here in the West, we don't have that type of love. I feel that the apostles carried that they will die for their cause. Literally, so somebody could hear the gospel, they will experience torture and persecution and death. So he's warning them not to to tell anybody throughout most of the gospel of Matthew, but here in this frame, he's saying, go be bold, tell everybody who I am. So that's why we would assert, you know, a little bit more leaning to uh, this being a post ascension, you know, command that Christ is giving them. Uh, and you could also tie this in with Matthew 28 after the resurrection, when Jesus comes back to him and says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples by baptizing and make and teaching them all of the things that I have taught. So twofold, if you would, uh, where this is connecting to that Matthew 28 text and, uh, and there on into the book of Acts. So in 28, uh, do not fear those who can kill the body. We talked a little bit about that. Uh, this is just earthly persecutors, uh, fear him, God, what mortals can do to a believer is nothing compared to what God can do. Think about that. The creator of heaven and earth can do far more to you. He alone is capable of punishing a person, body, soul, and uh, in hell. God, the creator of heaven and earth, is far more powerful than, than what mortals can do. A man can kill you and torture you and 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 it take you to the to the very edge of your life. There are heinous and terrible and gruesome things that can be done to man, and there have been gruesome things that have been done through the history of humanity. But do not fear what man can do. Fear what God can do. God is alone capable of punishing all people. No fear of humans, but fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, Proverbs 9, 10. 
fear God, do not fear man. So then he goes on to talk about being sparrow sold for a penny. The very poor purchase sparrows for food, paying about one sixteenth of a day's wage. Uh, this illustrates how little meat was eaten by the common people. Uh, no sparrow seemingly so worthless will fall from its nest or experience harm in flight without God's knowledge or will. He foresees and foreknows everything this is or will be. So God knows all things and he wills things. And we also have to understand too that there's kind of a, we don't want to put a limit to it, but there's there's an understanding that God allows things to happen. He knows they're going to happen, but he does it for reasons beyond our comprehension. And we would attest that, you know, there are some people who uh, go to the far extreme of saying that God allows or, or willed that person to be raped or murdered. Uh, That's not within God's will. God allows it for whatever reason is long beyond our comprehension why, why in the case would he allow his disciples to be persecuted to demonstrate the glory of the gospel? Why did person A or B get raped or murdered or beaten and, and, or what we, we don't know in today's world. We don't, could they have been a Christian? Could they have been persecuted for their faith? Possibly. Could they have just been purely chosen by randomness and, and, and evil heinous acts are brought upon them possibly, but all of these times when we see Jesus even make an acknowledgement, anytime we see uh, some sort of cruelty or inhumane acting or uh, tragedies in our society, in the news, they are calls for repentance. They are calls to turn back to God. Every time we see somebody uh, being unjustly persecuted or murdered or raped, it is a call and a reminder for Christians to stand upon the gospel and to preach forgiveness of, uh, of sins. So uh, the sparrow is uh, just a tiny little bird, uh, has no meat, renders no meat, doesn't matter about that, but the no sparrow is seemingly so worthless. So think about that. You know, people want to elevate the sparrows above man, which is a fallacy, if you would, in, in today's world, but they want to assert that animals are more important than humans. Animals were created for humans, and they were done so uh, animals can provide food. That's really about it. Down the food chain, uh, every animal relies on something in order to uh, feed the next line up. And so even though we primarily eat grass grazing animals, there are some animals that we would eat uh, that would feed on other animals, such as like fish and stuff like that. But that's a whole nother discussion. But anyways, what I'm getting at is God's will and all that is to say Man has more value than a sparrow. That is what is really the whole premise to this whole verse. Man has more value than a sparrow. So what no person can do to you, our father has done, counted the hairs on our heads. He knows us down to the minutest detail. Uh, For those of us who have less hair or no hair at all, God still knows every hair on our head. He knows everything about us. He knows every piece of our being. He knows us more than we know ourselves. He was the one who formed us in our mother's womb. So take mind of that and take comfort in that. Fear not for the third time. Jesus tells his disciples not to be afraid. The disciples had vastly greater value than a small bird. They had nothing to fear because God blesses and rules all of his creation. 
Jesus promises his disciples that if they fearlessly confess to him on earth, he would stand up for them before his heavenly father at the judgment and accept them into eternal life. This again is demonstrated in Matthew 24 and 25. Those from whom fear or doubt deny Jesus will be denied by Jesus on the day of judgment and they will be cast into the lake of fire. Pretty straightforward. All right, so then we get to this next little blimp here of text, the not peace but a sword. This is a, I did a sermon on it um, a long time ago, uh, long before I became a Lutheran. It was very Calvinistic, uh, and it was actually one of my highest viewed sermons on my YouTube channel, and I, I would certainly not deliver it in the same context today as I would five years ago. So uh, this likely... It surprises his disciples, the analogy, not peace, but a sword, uh, because ease, uh, earlier Jesus told them to let their peace come upon the people, the houses that they had entered. Uh, Jesus wanted them to realize that his coming was like a sword that split families in two. Some were him uh, for him and some were against him. Uh, and so it makes us point to Acts 14 here. The same division will be evident in the last judgment. So this is a time when Christ comes into the world and renders those people. And sadly, it will come down to that in some situations. Not every family is a fully Christ-believing family. Some families have divisions in it and are, you know, some have uh, different viewpoints and denials of Christ. Um, And that's what we will experience on the day of judgment. Those families will be divided. And it is Jesus that does so with a sword, the sword being his word. His word is what divides people. It's not that Jesus came to be this peace loving hippie, but Jesus came with his word, his authority to proclaim his gospel. And those who believe him are for him and they will be saved. And those who do not will be cast into the lake of fire. Same thing back in verse 32 and 33. Those who accept and acknowledge Christ before man, Christ will acknowledge before his Father, and those who deny him will be denied by, uh, before the Father. So that is a, a paramount statement to know in these verses here. It is not a manner of Christ bringing some sort of warfare against these people, but it is his word. His word is as sharp as a two-edged sword. And his word is what is going to do the damage. It is his word that separates and divides families over simple things. And I made it kind of a broad statement on my, in my sermon. You know, we, we get into a, a, a scuffle over politics and religion, but religion in of itself has many divisions because especially in the Lutheran faith, we would assert confessionally certain aspects of the new Testament, whereas other Protestants, Calvinists or other reform groups may not necessarily adhere to those. And so we see that there are, there's division there. And then to the other extreme that there are uh, many who flat out reject concepts of scripture uh, in terms of their own interpretation. And then that brings upon separation and division. And do we, do we assert one way is right or wrong? Well, Lutherans would, we would say that this is the plain reading of the text. This is what the text means. This is what it's doing. Um, this is what our confession states about those who reject these sort of things. Uh, it very, inst- very similar to how Melanchthon and the other Augsburg reformers uh, wrote in the articles that uh, those who, especially on the baptismal and the Anabaptists, are condemned. They are 
they are not to be associated with. An Anabaptist is one who denies the uh, uh, the efficacious means of grace in baptism, and they deny that. Uh, the baptism of an infant is valid, and so they would say you must take a second baptism, which again goes against Scripture because Paul tells us that you believe in one God, one Lord, and one baptism. One, not two, not baptism by the Spirit and baptism by water. One baptism. It's both the same. Ugh. Anyways. So, division over Scripture, very easy to get into. Very, very easy to find divisions. All you have to do is post a a view of your doctrinal statements or your doctrinal beliefs and people will will disagree with you uh, i did a did a similar thing and it's funny because i just did a video it was uh uh it was a voiceover thing it was like you know say one thing that would cause people to hate you or i don't remember how it phrased it, it was a while back but i just simply quoted first peter three twenty one and had it on the screen and i just kind of pointed to it and i had to shut the comments down i was getting hate mail I lost a thousand followers. I people were angry over that. I'm like, I literally just quoted scripture. You're mad because I'm quoting scripture and you don't believe what that scripture tells you that baptism saves. Sorry, that's what it says. Peter makes that very same statement, and that's what we really stressed on the on the baptismal series on our show is Christ coming to us through the means of the water in his word and saving us, washing us clean. Ephesians 5.25, he washes his church and renews and regenerates his people. So, uh, you know, there's going to be division over over the word of God that is common. But that division doesn't mean that in all cases we are not brothers or sisters. It very well could be we have just simple disagreements on interpretation. We have different viewpoints and different means by which we render something. But when we start to reject the sacraments when we reject the deity and person and being of Jesus Christ when we reject scripture in its simple uh, rendering then we start to run into issues uh, if we get into like secondary topics and disagreements like eschatology or what you know how do some of these things render you know in terms of how we interpret it or apply it uh, fine but when you start to disagree on the sacraments, when you start to disagree on the person and being of Jesus Christ, the person and being of God, the, the triune Godhead, uh, those types of things, then we run into uh, run into issues. So that's where we will see more division than anything. And in fact, we see more division in Christianity today because everybody has a viewpoint and everybody thinks they're a theologian simply by having uh, taken a couple classes or uh, by reading a couple of books and now they have an Instagram page and now they have a following and they're sharing Bible verses and people think that they have some sort of sort of authority and they really don't, you know, even me as a pastor, I, I have an MDiv. I don't sit there and wield that around telling you, well, I'm right because I have an MDiv. I, I could be very well wrong. I'll be the first to admit I, you know, I'm not, f- not perfect in my knowledge. I certainly have long ways to go before I am fully comfortable and, and, you know, articulating things, uh, and, and I feel I'm pr- fairly comfortable now, but there are some things that, uh, you know, I'm, I want to, in my time as a pastor solidify better. And I think anybody who plays to authority as a means of an argument, it's a fallacy, um, pandering to their own authority. They really lose the substance of the argument by doing so. But anyways, uh, we know that there will be division 
and division is caused by everybody who has an opinion and everybody who has a source and a platform to voice said opinion. Uh, and we know that the that this division, though, isn't talked necessarily about the minor scuffles within the church, but it's talked about those who believe and those who do not believe. This is for the day of judgment. You will experience this when he when Jesus returns, and that's what he's telling his disciples, a little bit of precursor to the uh, Olivet Discourse, which we'll talk about sometime here down the road. Um, but he's saying that when he comes back, he will bring a sword, and that sword will wield the uh, righteous from the wicked. Uh, and then he gives us this little an, uh, analogy here at the end of verse 38. Whoever takes up my cross and uh, and follows me is worthy. Uh, whoever does not take up his cross and is not worthy of me. So taking up his cross, uh, simply this, that the cross represents death. It is common for the uh, Romans to crucify the criminals. And Jesus expected his followers to be willing to die if necessary rather than to give up their own commitment to him. And uh, that is pretty much a statement. Here's the, here's the thing. People like to take that verse and say that you have to be doing X, Y, and Z in order to be a believer. And you must be doing all of these things to take up your cross and they will give you a list of things. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's literally saying you will be killed for my, for, for me, you will be killed because you believe in me. That is what Jesus is telling people. And when we assert that, we would say that that is us taking up our cross, that we are willing to die for the belief in Christ rather than surrender our own, uh, surrender our faith for our own comfort. So that is how we would uh, work through that text. That's very much not how a a Protestant or Calvinist would render that text. But for the Lutheran, we look at it and read it in the manner of, For those who believe, they will find eternal life. They will be worthy of me. Those who do not believe will face judgment and his life will be forfeit. So there's that. Anywho, whole sermons can be written on those few verses. uh, 37, 38, and 39 would be, you know, an extensive amount of time. Let's carry on. Verse 40, uh, the disciples are authorized messengers of Jesus. And to receive them was the, uh, the same as receiving Christ and the father who had sent him, uh, not only the apostles, but others who served as gospel witnesses, this would allow them to receive that profit reward. And then Jesus goes on to talk about the little ones. Once again, Jesus likely referring or gesturing to the young children, uh, but is referring to also those who believe in Jesus with a simple childlike faith. Uh, the cup of cold water is a reward. Someone who performs a, even a small act of love will be rewarded. Jesus says much about the difficulties that the disciples will encounter as they carry out their mission, but he concludes the sermon by promising a reward to those who support the gospel message and fellow disciples. Yet no reward can match the blessing of grace given to those who repent of their sins and believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior. He gives peace with God. Uh, patience in times of tribulation, confidence to pray, and finally eternal life. And here's the other thing I I would get into a tussle with some of the Reformed folk on. These rewards are not some sort of tangible item that you're going to get in heaven. These rewards are not something that you get in terms of like a crown in heaven. Because I I hear some people say, well, I'm just going to go cast all my crowns at the feet of Jesus. Like, you're not getting crowns, buddy. I'm just saying. We can get into some deeper 
talking on that, but I, for now it's just that is not what's being referred to here. The reward is eternal life, salvation, patience with time and tribulation, confidence to pray. He gives you peace with God. These are the rewards that we are acknowledging here in the end of uh, chapter 10. So that's going to wrap uh, today's episode. Uh, we got through chapter 10, so we're going to kick off to 11 next week. We're going to hit uh, John the Baptist a little bit, uh, the messengers, and uh, we will carry on and continue working through this wonderful gospel until we reach the very end. So uh, it is Friday, and I hope you listen to it before the weekend. But if you don't, then make sure you uh, get to church at the next Sunday. But I hope you can listen to it before then and get to church on Sunday partake in the sacraments and enjoy the promises of the forgiveness of sin until next week ladies and gentlemen a great week god bless we'll see you all later Hey guys, thanks for tuning into this episode of Undying Light. If you did enjoy this episode, then consider joining us on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month. That means $1 per month will get you access to everything that we do behind the scenes. That includes early releases podcast episodes, bonus episodes that will never be released to the public, teaching videos, Bible studies, sermon notes, and anything else that may arise during the time, as well as early access to my book. That also entails that if you are a patron, when I complete the book, you will get a free copy of that said book. So that is just a few of the things that we do here at Undying Light, and we would greatly appreciate if you come and join this community. You'd have access to our chat groups on Instagram and our Discord channel where we keep everybody up to date and have wonderful conversations spanning the plethora of information. So $1 a month gets you full access to all of that. You can buy a whole year up front and get access for just about $10 and change, and that gives you 12 months uninterrupted access to Undying Light. The other promo I would like to share with you is Logos.com. You can get yourself a copy of this wonderful Bible software. You can download it free and uh, go in and just choose and purchase the books that you want, uh, whether you want a study Bible or just a couple commentaries. But the app itself is a wonderful program and allows me to quickly move through content without holding me up. I can search and find all of the available resources in my library that talk about whatever topic that I'm covering and I can draw from it, and I can read through it, and I can have all of it right in front of me. In fact, as I'm recording this, I have my study Bible open with my ESV Bible open, and generally I'll have the Book of Concord open and probably some of Luther's lectures or his uh, commentaries or anything else that he may have written, maybe even sermon notes, things like that, up on the screen. Those tools are wonderful in helping you study. On top of all that, this is not an app just for theologians and pastors, but it can be used for anybody and everybody at any walk in their life. Wherever you are in your walk with Christ, this app can help benefit you. So logos.com forward slash light, and you'll get yourself some discounts on packages where it will come 
designed to your specific denominational view. If you're Lutheran, you can get the Lutheran package. If you're Baptist or Reformed or Calvinist or Anglican or Catholic or Jewish, you can get all of those packages at a discounted rate through that link. So you can find all that information in the show notes as well as anything that pertains to fitness and health as that is another mantra to my life. And if you have any questions on that, feel free to DM me. So thanks again, guys. Have a great day. God bless. We'll see you later.